Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. I am so glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, it's always great to be back in the house on the Sabbath, yes? Uh, it's like you go through a whole entire week of work, you go through a whole entire week of school, and you get to come back in a place and a community that spurs you on to love God more. So it's really a privilege. If it's your first time here, we want to welcome you. We have a saying here at the city that you're not just, you're not just, we are not, hey, what, what's the, <laughs> we are not, we are not just a service you belong to, is it? Or 10. Okay, I'm really getting this wrong, but we are a family, okay? Uh, so welcome. Um, hey, don't laugh at me, la. Okay, I just, uh, without further ado, I want to jump into the word. Can I do that? Okay, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. If you're there, you can say yes. I love a responsive crowd. It helps me preach better. Are you guys there? You like my slides? Okay, 1 Corinthians uh, 7 verse 17, it says, And don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. Don't think I'm being harder on you than others. I give this same counsel in all the churches. And the context of this... um, uh, scripture is really in uh, when Paul is talking about marriage, but I want to bring some truths from this scripture today. I believe that um, if he can talk about this concept in marriage, you know, it really does apply in, in our lives. And the scripture in the message version says this, don't be wishing you were someplace else, yes? <clears throat> or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. So live, obey, and love, and believe right there. How many of you love that? Right? This is um, his command, and he says, um, not, not God, not your marital status defines your life. Don't think I'm being harder on you than on others. I give the same counsel in all the churches. Um, on Friday in Cell Group, uh, Christine was actually talking about the idea about faithfulness. You know, a lot of us, um, when we go through life, it's always easier to, I don't know about you, but there are two groups of people. The first group of people, you go through the mundane and when God gives you a big word, like an ideal plan, you know, pack your bags now and go to Syria, right? It's almost like, um, for some people, it's very hard. It's like, I'd rather do the mundane thing, the faithful thing. You know, I don't want to think about that grand plan of God. But for people like myself, it's always easier and more hyped up to think about that grand plan. You know, when God says, Cons, pack your bags and go to Syria or go to Bible school. You know, it's, it's, it's a very thrilling idea. It's like, wow, I would love to do that. You know, I'll pack my bags, I'll plan for it. And almost like, it's almost like this adrenaline and hype drives you, right? But we were talking about that ideal plan and the tension between living in the present and being faithful in the mundane. Many of us, I mean, the truth is this, we go through the mundane, yes? We wake up at 7.30 every day, we take the MRT train, we squeeze with people, we nap on the train, on the bus, and then we get to work or we go to school and, and the, the routine actually starts. Am I alone? Yeah. <laughs> right? And sometimes it's always easier to think about, oh, you know, what if I get that promotion? What if I get um, this, this plan that God has, um, I, I've, wait, I've been waiting on God for? And it's almost easier to think about those things than to be faithful in the mundane. 
Amen. And I just feel like today, God is giving us an anointing and a grace to be faithful where we are at. Because where you're at has a, a, a sphere of influence, God has specifically placed you where you're at in your job, in, in your school, and it's not for no reason. Not everybody is called to pack your bags and go to Syria. Let's, let's be honest. If everybody's going to pack our bags and go to Syria, then there's nobody going to be in Singapore anymore, right? So there, there is the element where God has called us to be faithful in the mundane. And I just feel like today, God wants you to know that He knows where you're at. Whether you are married, whether you are waiting for a spouse, some of you are really waiting. You know, some of you are waiting for that partner. Some of you are unemployed, you're employed. Some of you are unemployed and you're unhappy. Some of you are employed and you're even more unhappy. You know, it's, it's really hard to please men, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, God knows where you're at. Whether you have a child now, whether you're waiting on God for a child, He knows where you're at. And, um, but you know, the number one enemy to being faithful in our present is the idea of comparison. You know, there's always this tension. And um, when you are called to be faithful, your eyes tend to look at greener pastures. And you're like, hey, that's better. That's, you know, that guy is doing better. You know, I want to be that person. I want to be in that space. Um, I, I saw somebody post an Instagram post. I might get it wrong, like how I got the city um, quote wrong. But it says something like, um, the grass is greener on the other side, yes, but I'm busy watering my own uh, and, uh, grass and checking out whether it's green. So I can't be bothered about the grass on the other side. But for for most of us, um, the grass is greener on the other side, right? And it's this idea of comparison. We tend to like look across and we compare ourselves. So today, I want to talk about comparison. Can I have the next slide, please? The comparison trap, right? So the number one enemy to being faithful in our present is really comparison. Say this. I want you to say this with me. I'm anointed to live in my present moment. And God has given me the grace to be faithful with it. Amen? You believe it? Every day when you wake up, when you take the train, and you don't feel like going to work or school, every time you wake up, I, I tell myself that, every time I wake up, you know, God is so pleased with that faithfulness. Amen? And, you know, it's almost like this, like, we enter a room, and I don't know about you, but... I tend to have a subconscious ability to suss out the room. You know, I step into the room and I'm like, who is better than me in this area? I'm better than this person in the other area. I don't know about you, is that just me? Oh, yeah, it's just me lah. Okay, but it's almost a subconscious thing, you know, and we, we impose our dominion and our authority based on how people are lesser off than us right? It's like, in our society, it's like, you know, you have Instagram, you have Facebook, and everybody's posting things about their, their food, their glorious moments, and nobody actually posts things like, like, I'm very sad, I'm very emo, la. those are young kids that do that, right? You know, and, and <laughs> oops, no, no, also, also, you know, uh, it's Axel here, Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> well, Exo was, when he was younger, he was famous for emo, like, Twitter quotes. Uh, and I'll be like, Exo, what are you doing? What are you posting? Uh, it's not for anybody to know, just for me. Then you post for what, right? <laughs> He's not here, so I can talk about him. But, um, you know, we, we tend to do that. And we, we it's almost like um, in our society, everything is steered towards comparing ourselves. Whether it's education, whether it's our wealth, our materialism. You know, it's so, it's so materialistic here in Singapore. It's almost like we compare everything and anything. 
right? And I find that scary, but I also find something even more scary, okay? And that is comparison within the church. You see, comparison, it, the spirit of comparison is not based on what you compare. It's really the spirit behind it, right? And, and in church, right, it's almost scary that we can compare spirituality. I lift my hands higher than you. I can sing better than you. I worship better than you. I'm, more, I'm a, a more anointed preacher than you are. You know, I, I'm not saying me, I'm just giving an example. All right, but, but um, it's almost like we, can, we have a measurement for spirituality. And one day God was speaking to me and he says, you know, Cons, are you pursuing intimacy with me for the sake of comparison with other people or are you really pursuing intimacy with me? You know, it's, it's almost easy to reduce our relationship with God and intimacy with God to comparison. Why? Because imagine this, Jesus is the popular one. We are popular friends. We want to be close to Him, right? And in the midst of being close to Him, we experience benefits. Yes, it's true. It comes with the fact. It's, it's in a package, right? But a lot of us have this false mentality that the closer I get to God, the better I am. And therefore, I am comparing my relationship with God that I have with you. And it's scary, you know. There, there is that possibility of reducing our intimacy with God to a, a point of comparison. And... Today, I just want to, I just feel like God wants to expose the lie of the enemy all across our lives. If I were to ask a question, uh, how many of you have compared yourself with someone before? Uh, how many of you might have compared yourself with somebody at home before? Uh, that's, that's scary because you go home and you see the person every single day. Maybe it's your brother, your sister, I don't know. But... Or maybe some of you might be comparing someone with someone, yourself with someone in this room. I don't know, right? But the, the idea of comparison, is it, it's so pervasive and it infiltrates into every single life that I feel that we should be talking about it because we want to expose the lie of the enemy. Amen? Um, last week, Andre was speaking about the idea of favor, yes? And he, he gave a brilliant message about um, stewarding favor and, and walking in the favor of God. Can I suggest to you that when, fav when you attract favor, the next thing that comes with it is the idea of comparison and envy. Whenever you walk in favor, you attract envy. You attract comparison. You have the tendency to compare yourself with other people and people will compare themselves with you. So as a community, I really, I really am in agreement with Andre when he says that the city has a great level of favor that God has bestowed upon us. And I feel like there is such a need to harness and to steward this favor. And when we talk about stewarding favor, we have to talk about the topic of comparison, the comparison trap, the idea of envy. You see, comparison leads to envy, yes, and envy leads to strife. And when there is strife in the community, it is it is so powerful that it has the ability to ruin relationships, cause marriages to break up and divorce, you know, um, friendships to be broken, and communities to just dissolve. Right? And the, the powerful thing about strife is that it can go undetected. You, you can just don't talk about it, you know. I can feel like I compare myself with you, but just don't say anything lah. You know, I just don't have to say anything and life is dandy and all of that. But today, I also want to share with you um, my journey of 
um, overcoming areas of comparison in my life. Can I do that? I don't think I have fully overcome. I think it's a lifetime, a journey of a lifetime. But I feel like God is just dismantling lies in this place this morning. See, um, envy is the evil twin to favor. And if we don't identify it in our hearts, it can go under the radar and almost undetected. Right? The Bible says, um, he who compares himself, can I get the next slide, please? He who compares himself is not wise. Okay? So the moment we start looking elsewhere, it's okay, guys. Uh, the moment you start looking elsewhere and comparing yourself with other people, the Bible says that we are not being wise. Right? And, and why is comparison so dangerous? Because comparison leads to envy and envy leads to strife. Strife is the angry, bitter disagreement over conflict or it's a spirit that comes into a culture and it can dissolve a community. You see, envy is the feeling of resentment, a discontentment or jealousy from another person's position or success. You know, when you compare, it leads to envy. And you compare yourself and there is this sense of discontentment. You're not happy. You cannot celebrate others. And today, I want to just pose a question to you. Are you able to celebrate the victory that people experience, the successes in their life? Because if you cannot, God's grace is enough for you. But honestly, if you cannot, it speaks more about you than the person. Right, And I want to be free from this trap of comparison because I know if I step into this place of identity and freedom, it's really very exhilarating. And it's, it's so freeing. It's like you can live a life that is untainted and it's not bothered. You're not bothered by the opinions of men. The opinions of men do not control you anymore. You know, and what a freedom that God has called us to live. Amen? <coughs> you know, I love this story. Um, uh, Hannah Covington, I, I, I believe her name is, um, from Bethel, she shared this story about uh, her two sons, all right? And I'm going to bring up some points from there. But um, in, in, in this story, she has two sons. The first son is called Judah, okay? And the second son is called Hudson. And they decided that they would bring their kids to Disneyland. Um, and uh, it was awesome because uh, she said to them, okay, uh, if you want to go to Disneyland, I will give you a dollar a day if you actually help me with household chores. And when you get to Disneyland, you can buy a gift for yourself, right? So um, Judah, being the first child, how many of you are firstborns here? Okay, it might be stereotypical, but are you very uh, careful with what you say and what you do? <laughs> I love her. I love her honest community. But anyway, um, she describes Judah to be the typical firstborn. Maybe in America, like, I don't know. All right. Um, he's like he's like reserved. He's calculative. So when when um, Hannah told Judah, Judah, you can earn a dollar a day if you help me out. He willingly does it. So every day he takes out the trash. He helps with the 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 household chores, the washing and all of that. And he's only like six years old. And he does that, right? And um, Hudson, on the other hand, is a typical second-born. How many of you are second-borns here? Apparently, you're more like fidgety, distracted, uh, but you are spontaneous and, you know, you're exciting, you know, all of that, right? Yes, do I get a witness in the house of the Lord? <laughs> Okay, so Hudson is like, um, uh, Hannah tells Hudson, you know, Hudson, you, you can earn a dollar a day. And Hudson's like, no, that's not for me. I don't want to do that, you know. <laughs> it's not for me. And so he doesn't do anything for two weeks, right? But Judah is like, 
uh, diligently washing the plates and all of that. So on the day that they get to go to Disneyland, Judah in the car, he has $14 in his wallet. So he gets this like cute little wallet and then he puts it, puts the money inside, okay? And then um, Hudson obviously has no money so he doesn't need a wallet. But, it, but lo and behold, it happened to be the week of Hudson's birthday. Okay, so um, Hannah's parents, his grandparents, uh, gave him an envelope, like an ang paula, basically, right? And so in the car, he opened the envelope, and inside the, the envelope was a card, a birthday card, and $20. Okay? And obviously, the parents, Hannah and her husband, were rejoicing with Hudson, like, yeah, you know, you have $20, you're going to Disneyland, you can get gifts for yourself and enjoy yourself. But they forgot that Judah was in the car. And Judah was silent for like five seconds. He had his arms crossed and he was angry. And when they turned to him, he started bawling his eyes out. And he was, ah, ah, ah. And he's like, it's not fair. It's not fair. Hudson didn't do anything. Right? He, he, I, I don't want a uh, younger brother anymore. He didn't do anything. He doesn't deserve it. You know, I worked so hard and I got $14 and he didn't do anything and he got $20. <laughs> you know, and, and Hannah looked at Judah and she's thinking to herself, please lah, you have $14, right? You go to Disneyland, you can only get a hot dog and maybe like a drink, right? You can't even buy a gift. So as a parent, you would naturally still top it up so that your child can get a gift, right? But Judah doesn't know that concept. Hudson doesn't either, right? So she found herself saying this. She said to Judah, Judah, I want you to know that you will not go without. You will not go without. Snap out of it, she wanted to say. But Hudson, you won't, uh, Judah, you won't go without. You won't go without. And in that moment, she felt that the Holy Spirit was speaking to her and through her. And she said this, you know. And, and after I heard that story, I really believe that it's, it's kind of like the church, you know. Um, we do $14 days. And once in a while, somebody gets a $20 moment. Right? And... Because we are living a $14 day, we cannot celebrate with the person having a $20 moment. So what we do is we give excuses, we belittle their $20 moment so that our $14 day feels more fulfilling. But you know, the thing is this, when you have a $20 moment, you want people to celebrate with you as well. And so the scripture when it says, you know, whatever you sow, you reap, you reap what you sow, um... It, it really plays in this scenario, you know, when you sow um, uh, the ability, when you're able to rejoice with people and celebrate their $20 moments, you're essentially sowing into your own life and, and, and the ability for people to also rejoice with you. You know, most of our lives are really $14 days. Once in a while, we get a $20 moment and God blesses us. He shows us His favor. He shows us that He loves us. It's meant for multiplication. But, Really, most of our lives, our ministry, every day that we, we wake up, having coffee with someone, meeting your employee, meeting your, empl your, your boss, it's really a $14 day. And we love it, you know. It's, but the moment we see somebody getting a $20 moment, we compare. And we're like, no, that guy doesn't deserve it. Right? You see, I, I, 
I remember about uh, how many years? Ten years ago, Pastor Daniel was um, speaking at a youth service. This message stuck with me for a really long time, and I think it will stick with me for the rest of my life. He was speaking uh, in January, and he posted a challenge to us um, for the entire year. And he says this, you know, can we? Is it possible to live a life with nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and nothing to hide? You remember that, right? Like that was something that stuck with me. And a lot of times, you know, the, when we compare ourselves with other people, um, there is this need to almost prove ourselves or belittle somebody so that we can feel better, right? But if we have a sense of maturity, we are able to see life in seasons. So for example, if somebody is going through a winter season, it's not like the sun won't shine, Right? If somebody's going through a summer and harvest season, it's not that there's not going to be hard times. But uh, the maturity of a community lies in the fact that we are able to hold the person in winter, celebrate with the person in spring, and collect the harvest with the person in summer. Right? And I believe that God is releasing uh, anointing over the community to celebrate with each other. And when we can do that, we will be able to steward favor in a way that we've never seen before. Right, comparison is truly the doorway to envy and it robs us from the joy God intended for us to enjoy within community. It rips friendships apart, chains us and suppresses growth within communities. You know, the second thing that, um, the first thing I talked about is com- uh, comparison leads to envy, right? Did I say that? Yes. yes. Um, the second thing I want to talk about is that comparison leads to pride and offense. It leads to th- these two things as well. Okay, when you walk into a room, and you see somebody who's better than you, the natural response is that you might cower or you might be very competitive, but there is this element of offense that rises from your heart. If you come into a room and you see that maybe that person is not as good as you, a sense of pride rises from your heart. I want to turn you to Matthew 13 verse 53. It's on the screen as well. In Matthew 13, 53, it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogues and uh, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, and uh, Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. <laughs> I find it interesting that people actually got offended with Jesus. <laughs> They actually compared themselves with Jesus. Like, who do you think you are when you're comparing yourself to Jesus, right? But people actually do that. You know, they compare themselves with Jesus and they say, who are you? You know, where did you or where did this man get wisdom and these mighty works? Is he not the carpenter's son? Is he not Mary's son? How come where out of nowhere there's this guy that can do so many mighty works? And the Bible says that they got offended and they took offense with Jesus. Wow, Right? And you know, when we walk into a room, like I said, you know, it's so, the tendency is that we either move into a place of pride, arrogance, or offense. When we feel that somebody is better than us, we get offended, like how they they got offended. But I find it scarier when we fall into arrogance and pride. Because the Bible says that God resists the proud. 
And the moment we compare ourselves with each other and we get this sense of arrogance that rises up in us, it can be a two-minute kind of, uh, two-second kind of thought that grows into a thought pattern and a behavior. But the moment that happens, we, we fall into the temptation of or, the, or stumbling into pride. And the Bible says that God resists the proud. How many of you are happy today? Still following with me? You know, I, I believe like, like what um, Pastor Daniel shared about 10 years ago. Um, the manifestation of pride and offense is still the same. You see a need to prove yourself. You don't, you, you don't live a life where it's, you're free from proving yourself or hiding. You know, you're living a life where it's almost like you are chained to the opinions of men. You are, whatever men think about you, the opinions of men, it's the thing that steers your life. You know, if you compare yourself, that's how, uh, that's the kind of life you would lead. But I believe that God wants to break us free from those chains today. And He wants us to walk into freedom where we can experience the fullness of identity, the fullness of um, being free from comparison. I mean, guys, let's, let's just think about it. How good it would be when we don't even have thoughts of comparison in our heads. It's a freedom, you know. And I want to say that God has purchased it on the cross and we get to have access to that. It's not an impossibility. It's not an impossibility to have uh, a secure and unwavering you. Amen? So I just want to go through um, three points that I feel will lead us into a place of freedom. Okay, and, uh, and we'll just pray for each other. The first point is this. Um, I believe that as we keep our eyes on Jesus as a standard and not men, we get transformed and we get freed from the trap of comparison. Right? Um, I want to turn you to John 21, verse 15. <clears throat> it's very small. <clears throat> Are you guys there? Okay, so you know that Peter, well, context, Peter denied Jesus three times, okay? And in this restorative conversation, in the same way that Jesus um, denied Jesus, uh, Peter denied Jesus three times, Peter, uh, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me three times, right? So there is a parallelism in this scripture. And um, let's read it, all right? 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Judah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death Peter would glorify God with. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Okay, in verse 20. Then Peter turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? <clears throat> Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to Peter, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? 
you follow me. At 23, then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. And Jesus said to him, he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? I love this scripture because in a restorative conversation that Jesus has with Peter, like, you know, Peter denied Jesus three times and then Jesus is kind enough to ask, Peter, do you love me? And with every single question that he asked, there was a restorative power um, in that question, you know, signifying every single time that Peter denied Christ. And after Peter was forgiven, right, the next thing that Peter did was he looked across, saw another disciple and said, what about John? Funny, right? Like, okay, he could have done that based on two reasons. Maybe, like, he really cared about John. Like, oh, what's going to happen to John? But I think, right, there was an element where, like, okay, you are signif- you're telling me the significance of my death. Hey, and this is a great promise, you know. I mean, Jesus is telling him, when you were young, you did whatever you wanted. But he's saying, saying in a very, like, poetic way, you know, your death is going to glorify me. And Peter died upside down, Yes? On the cross. And, but at this point in time, Peter didn't know. There was a restorative conversation going on. But the next thing that he did uh, is that he go and point at John and he's like, what about John? Uh? <laughs> you know, a lot of times, right, when we receive a promise or inheritance from God or like a prophetic word, like when Sean Bowles was here, <laughs> stepping on some toes, stepping on my own toe, right? You know, when Sean Bowles was here, right, he was releasing words of prophecy, yes? I don't know about you, but with every word of prophecy that was released over people, I'm sure the same amount of envy and comparison was released in the room as well. <laughs> right? It's like, really, man? They deserve it, man? Like, what about me? I, I've been doing $14 days. Where is my $20 moment? And in that, at that point in time, it's really for us to celebrate people's $20 moments. Right? And, and you know, I, I love it because Peter looks at John and says, hey, what about John? And Jesus he gave a low blow answer. He said, what is it to you if I choose that he will remain until I come? What is it to you, Peter? Why are you so capo? Right? Why don't you just focus on your own life and just do your own thing and realize that I have a great inheritance for you. You will die in a glorious way to glorify me. Is that not enough? Why do you care about John leaning on my bosom? Right? <laughs> you know, and a lot of times we compare. We compare our spirituality. He lead worship, lah, you know. Or, or he get this prophetic word. Why he get this prophetic word? Why I never get this prophetic word, lah? You know, I also do the same thing, what? Is God a formula? No, he's not. Right? If he's a formula, if you do the same thing, you'll get the same result. Right? But he's not a formula. It's a relationship. Amen? And, you know, I, I, I just want to turn you to 2 Corinthians 3.17. You can look at the screen as well. I love this because God gives us a privilege and He says, but we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord. In the message version, it says this, whenever though they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil and they are face to face. Amen. They suddenly recognize that God is a living, personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. Amen. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that all constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We are free of it, all of us, nothing between us and God. Our faces shining with the brightness of His face. And so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah. Our lives gradually become brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become more like Him. I love it. You know, the power of beholding and looking at Jesus is this. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. 
when we behold the beauty of Christ, we live a, a, a life that is built on a firm foundation. But the moment we take our eyes off the vision of God and who He is, and we look at people as a standard of our growth in terms of comparison, right, we live a very faltering and a wavering life. I don't know about you, but I want to live a life that's consistent, established, and firm. Right? And the only way is that when we look at Him and when we behold His glory, we become transformed into His image. There is only one standard that He has called us to live according to, and it's the standard of Jesus. There is no point running a race and looking on the side and, and, and comparing yourself. I used to run races when I was in primary school. I was in the athletics team. Um, there was this time I was running a 200-meter race. Uh, it's this thing called Hokkien Wei Guan. You guys from... Taunan, uh, Nanhua, or whatever before? Konghua, yes? Alright, you will know this thing called Hokkien Weikuan. So it's like a Hokkien uh, gathering, like the schools. And my grandfather used to be the founder of Hokkien Weikuan, right? And so uh, I was in Taunan school, I would run, and every year we have this like uh, race, okay? So we would run. And I would run 100 meters and 200 meters. I was better at 100 meters, okay? Uh, 200 meters, I was very scared. Um, I got not enough stamina, and my leg very short. I was only 130 cm at that point in time. <laughs> very short. <laughs> and so uh, I know that in our heats, right, there was this girl from Konghua. I hope she doesn't hear my sermon, she doesn't know me. But um, she was a bit pui, okay? And, but, uh, and her leg, she's also around my height, but she can run very fast, you know? <coughs> so uh, obviously I compare myself, right? I'm like, I need to win this race, but I know that this Konghua girl, and then she can run very fast. Uh, and lo and behold, on the day of the race, they say, is it girl Karisan? So the, yeah, is it? Is that the? I don't know. And then the, the the gun went off, and then I ran with all my might, right? And then I kept looking over my shoulder because I wanted to see where she is. But obviously, uh, it only lasted for a while because she superseded me, lah. Okay. So, but even when she was in front of me, I I kept looking and looking and looking, you know. And I'm like, my vision and my gaze was on her, not the, the finish line. <coughs> and then, right, lo and behold, she fell down. Then, right, in my heart, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and then I just continued running. But in the end, right, I came in second last. <laughs> she was the last. <laughs> hey, but my 100 meters not bad, okay? But <laughs> I will forever remember that, that, that moment. I realized and I, and I felt the Spirit of the Lord say to me, Cons, do not look over your shoulder. You know, I, I, I experienced it. You know, the moment I keep looking, right, I cannot run. You know, and I was so concerned about the person running in the race that I lost sight of the finish line. Right, and, and I believe that as we look at Jesus as the finish line, um, our lives will be so established and unwavering. Amen. Amen. My second point is this. In order to overcome the comparison trap in our lives, we have to live out from who He says we are as sons and daughters. Yeah. Amen. I want to turn you to the scripture, Romans 8 verse 15. You guys there? Y'all cheat one, you always look at the screen. <laughs> okay, for as many, eh? Okay, for as many are as are eh? for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Verse 15, I love it. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba Father. Say Abba Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. You know, when we hear about what God has called us to and the identity that He has placed inside of us, we get free from the comparison of tra uh, the trap of comparison. Amen? 
You know, when He speaks His word, it's yes and amen. And I believe that when we understand our identity as sons and daughters, we break free from shame, fear, and guilt. A lot of times, we are so ensnared by comparison and we fear whether somebody's better than us, whether we are doing good. What was that? The voice of an angel. And, and, and you know, we are, so, we are so wrapped up in fear that we are not true to our authentic self. Yes? Mm. God's like, mmm. <laughs> His approval. Um, and, you know... S- I just want to, I want to bring up an analogy, okay? Imagine I am a mom, okay? And I have two sons. Uh, who want to be my sons? Amen. That's just weird. <laughs> okay, for example, uh, maybe, <laughs> okay, uh, uh, T2, uh, uh, TC and Bunket. Uh, Aloy, uh. Uh, Aloy and uh, Bunket, all right. So, imagine I am their, their mom, okay? And, um... I want my kids to learn piano, okay? Until grade 8. Okay, so, Aloy loves music, okay? He loves music. Every day, right, he's like, Mommy, can I, can I go and learn piano? Can I learn piano? Okay lah, okay lah. But Bunket, right, he, every day he likes to play Dota, okay? He don't like to, he doesn't like to, uh, to, to uh, anything with music. But I want them to learn the foundations of music and theory. So I say, both of you have to go to school at Yamaha, Okay? Um, on a daily basis, I have to cane Bunket because he doesn't want to practice his piano. So I'll be like, Bunket, you have to practice your piano. You know, if you don't practice, you cannot go out and play with your friends. You cannot play Dota, blah, blah, blah. And I use Dota as a trade-off, right? Uh, I, I instill an element of terror and fear in his life. But on the other hand, uh, because Aloy loves music so much, she practices every day. He does it. He's like Beethoven, uh, Singaporean Beethoven. Alright? And he does it every day. <coughs> okay. Eight, eight years later, both of them uh, come to their grade eight exams and they both pass with a distinction, right? Do you realize that the same outcome was driven by two very different motivations and intentions, right? In the kingdom of God, God has called us to live in love and not fear. Sons of God and daughters of God are driven by love. We're not like Bunket, we're not driven by fear. You see, you can live as a... <clears throat> you see, the success of our lives is not determined by the outcome. Amen? It's not determined by the grade 8. Both of them reach grade 8. But the success of our lives is... The outcome is almost as important as the process and the intention. And I believe that today, God wants to free us from living a life of fear. If you live a life of fear, you can still reach grade 8. No problem, right? But how freeing it would be to reach grade 8 like Aloy did, Beethoven style, right? In freedom, in love, and because you love music. I really believe that um, as sons and daughters of God, when He speaks identity into us, we break free from the comparison trap and um, the opinions of men. I want to say something today because, you know, when it comes to comparison, there is always a root cause. And the root cause is sometimes we just don't feel like we belong, right? And I want to encourage you that God has called us as sons and daughters, and by the spirit of adoption, we can cry out, Abba, Father. Amen? Amen. My last point is this. Um, If we want to overcome the spirit of comparison and the comparison trap, 
uh, we have to esteem each other higher than ourselves. Okay, um, without further ado, I just want to show you a video. Um, how many of you know Bob Jones? Bob Jones? Bob Jones is an awesome prophet. Um, his life message is this, have you learned to love? Okay, and amazingly, he was taken up to heaven and end of his life on 14th of February, right? Valentine's Day. He really passed away last year on 14th of February. But in this story, what happened was on uh, 8th of August, 1975, okay, he, he received three words from God that he was supposed to prophesy over the churches in the US and all across the nation, right? And a demon came up to him and said that if you're going to release this word, I will kill you. But he didn't care, so he obviously went to share the word. Um, I want to show this video and I will wrap it up, alright? So just have a look. That is the video that I wanted to show. And um, Bob Jones, when he experienced this, he heard, I mean, he had three testimonies. Um, he witnessed three um, questions that, that God actually asked each individual, right? I mean, have you learned to love the, 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 the minister, the, what's her name? Uh, the minister, right? And then um, the 11-year-old and then the crippled woman. Um, the woman who was actually biting saints. And when I, when I hear this, I don't know about you, but it sets my gaze on an eternal perspective. Yes, knowing that however I live in this life has an impact in my reward and how I'm going to answer God on that day itself. Right? And, and I find it interesting that Jesus asked um, Bob Jones as well, have you learned to love? You know, if you watch the, the whole video, have you learned to love? And when we talk about unity in, in the body of Christ and the church and overcoming comparison, my question to you is, have you learned to love? Have you learned to love? Jesus loved us so much, He condescended a, a first world heaven to come to a third world earth just uh, through a, a virgin birth in a manger, right? In other words, like a pigsty. And He condescended Himself, He took on flesh because He loved us so much. He loved us so much. And at the point of even going to the cross where he bore that cross, could it be possible that he actually even valued us higher and, and esteemed us higher than himself? I don't know about you, but I know that God loves us so much that he was willing to take on human form. Think about this. TC taking on the form of Matilda. The baby, right? I mean, he took on a, a, a baby, a, a form of a baby and, and God was, God condescended himself. And today, I don't know about you, but I feel like God has called our community to esteem each other higher than ourselves. To value each other higher than ourselves. The question here is this, have you learned to love? You know, one thing that really encourages me when, uh, in, I'll, I'll share this and then I'll close, um, in 180 about two years ago, we were talking about um, the spirit of comparison in a camp one day, um, just chilling out and we're talking about it and many of them were comparing themselves with each other. They were pitching themselves with each other but it was a subtle thing. You know, and after that conversation, about five to six of them actually went up to each other and confessed that they were, conf uh, they were comparing against each other and they would pray with each other, they would reconcile with each other and there was such a freedom and breakthrough that happened in the community. And I believe that because of what they did, it released 180 into a place where, where we could encounter the presence of God unhindered. 
You know, and, and this is my heart for, for our church that, you know, I know it's, it's hard sometimes, you know, we, we go through, we have work, we have status, we have wealth, we have all these materialistic things and, and it's hard to come to a place where we can come to face to face a person and say, hey, Christine, I've been actually comparing myself with you. It takes a lot of humility. But if Jesus was able to take on flesh and come in a humble way, I believe that it's possible for our community. Amen? So I just want to invite you to stand and we're just going to respond to God. You know, at the end of my life, in light of eternity, God is going to ask me this question. Cons, have you learned to love? Have you learned to love the person you've been comparing yourself with? Have you learned to love yourself? Have you learned to love enough to be able to have the courage to pray for that person and speak to that person that you've been comparing yourself with? And as the worship team just leads us in a song, uh, all eyes closed, all heads bowed. And if today, whatever I was speaking about, you know, hit home in some area, and um, you know that in some area of your life, you have been comparing yourself with other people, you are not satisfied with who you are, when it comes to a sense of belonging, you don't really sense that. Even as I shared my vulnerable and weak moments, can I, can I encourage you to just come before the Lord and speak to Him honestly? I believe that there is a grace for breakthrough this morning.